Zechariah chapter 3. I get to do one of my favorite things today. I get to preach about Jesus. Isn't that good? So we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 3. One of the fun things about this text, so this, this chapter is an overview of God's plan for the nation of Israel. And there's so much detail that it takes quite a few messages to actually get through this chapter. But we have been looking at three aspects of this chapter. There are three titles for Christ that are given in this text. And so if you look with me at verse 6, And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for there men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. So last Sunday we looked at the ti- that title of Christ, the branch. There's another title in verse 9, for behold, the stone. And we're going to look at that today, that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. And behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to learn some things about Jesus today. Father, I pray that you'll reveal to us wonders from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so these three titles, you have the branch, the stone, and the seven eyes. We looked at the seven eyes through the summer uh, on one of our Wednesday night Bible studies. So if you'd like to get that, I think it's either on the uh, website or it's on the table over here. So we'll break, you can, you can see, trace that through the scriptures, the seven eyes. This morning, I want us to look at this title of Jesus Christ, the stone, and let's see if we can figure out if it is Jesus. Let's see if we can do that. Go to Psalm 118. And of course, have your Bibles ready. We're going to be going through the scriptures. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour in my class, the best class, that um, whenever a teacher stands before you to communicate the Word of God, test everything he says by the Word of God. Don't trust the teacher, trust the Bible. Amen? Don't trust the teacher. Trust the Bible. Now, you ultimately have to be able to trust your pastor or your teachers. There has to be a level of trust there. So if you can't trust me, go to a church where you can trust the preacher. But don't just trust me. Trust me as I agree with the Bible. It's vital. That's Acts 17.11 that gives us that information. But look at Psalm 118, and let's start reading in verse 21. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. Is that your testimony? Have you prayed to the Lord, and has He become your salvation? I hope He has. If you're not born again today, today is the day of salvation. The Bible again in Acts chapter 17 says that the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now calls every man everywhere to repent. Have you repented of your sin and acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior? Here in this psalm, we're going to see that David, the psalmist, is talking to the Lord but it's referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 22, The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. 
Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Now that verse, that's talking about that Levitical sacrifice. You had the, the altar, and on the altar there were horns that came out of it. And they would tie the sacrifice to that and make the sacrifice. So this is a Levitical passage in that text. Then at verse 28, Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good his mercy endureth forever. It's an interesting thing. His mercy endureth forever. I mentioned a minute ago, now is the time of repentance. The time of this ignorance God winked at, but now He calls every man everywhere to repent. So how can He be calling people to repentance now and His mercy endure forever? How do we balance those two things? That our salvation is only by His mercy and His grace. Throughout all eternity, I will still deserve to be punished. And yet, because of His mercy, He'll give me eternal life and blessing forever. Not because I'm good, not because of my works, but because of His mercy and His grace. Isn't that wonderful? So this is talking about Jesus Christ. How do we know that this is talking about Jesus? The stone, verse 22, which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Verse 24, this is the day which the Lord hath made. What day was that? We're going to look at that. And then look at what it says, verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. All right, now some of you know exactly where I'm going. You could even tell me because we've looked at it many times. But don't unplug when we go here because we're going to go to someplace else immediately after that. But go to Luke chapter 19. How many of you knew I was going to Luke 19? You know that? Nobody? Maybe you did. You're being kind to me. Luke, Luke 19. All right, look at verse 37. The stone. Speaking about Jesus Christ, it says in verse 37, Luke 19, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives. Now, how many of you have been there? You've been to the Mount of Olives. Any of you actually seen it? Dr. Ray? It, you're very high up, and you go down this winding road down to the valley that leads into the city of Jerusalem. That's what's happening here. All right, verse 37 again. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Do you see how that they're quoting Psalm 118 about Jesus right here? That's what they're doing. In verse, uh, the end of verse 38, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That sounds like what the angel said when Jesus was born. All right, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out about that. If they didn't praise Jesus at that point when Jesus was coming in, creation itself, the rocks, themselves would have praised Him. Now, sometimes we think that that's just Jesus speaking poetically or that's just hyperbole. No, all creation proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, everybody look up here at me for just a second. If you had been there that day, if I had been there that day, would we be willing to praise the Lord? Would we be willing to vocally acknowledge who He is? And I wonder, for us, we become so staid, we're so reserved. The idea of just saying, praise the Lord, 
Look, let me give you an opportunity. You ready? Here's a chance. We had 39 people saved at the fair this week. Amen. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Praise God. It's just that what God is doing here, it's wonderful. Now, do we have millions of people coming? Or, no. But is God working? Praise His name. That is so wonderful. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to praise God when we see Him move. Notice what it says here in the text. Verse 37, verse 30, yes, verse 37. And when He was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So they see the works, but Jesus is about to be crucified and they run away. You see, it's easy to praise God when things are going good. How about the song that, that Melody and Jenna just did? What about when the rains come? What about when the trouble comes? That is God showing us blessing and how He blesses us in the middle of our trouble. But what did these disciples do? Many of them left. When they gathered in the upper room after the resurrection, there were only 120. We have more people at Grace Baptist Church today than Jesus had disciples when He ascended into heaven. Is that an amazing thought? It's amazing. Now, I'm not saying that our work is greater than what Jesus did. That was the beginning. And when He sent the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden there's 3,000 at Pentecost. When, the, Holy, when the, the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is preached in the power of the, of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God does amazing things. And that's where we are. All right? So now... He told him that these Pharisees said, Master, rebuke thy disciples at the end of verse 39. Jesus said the stones would immediately cry out. But what is Jesus? He's the stone. Let's see if that comes up in this text. Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day. Remember Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. There was an appointed day, Psalm, or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 9 gives us the exact day that Jesus would come. He prophesied the exact day that Jesus would make His triumphal entry. Daniel chapter 9. All right, saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation." Jesus Christ had come to be their king, to be their Messiah, but they did not receive him as they should have. They ended up crucifying him. They missed it. They missed their day. What a horrible thing. So this stone that Jesus said he was, and we're going to see some more of that in Matthew in a minute, but go with me to the book of Daniel, the stone. They missed their day. Blessed is He. This is the stone that the builders rejected, the Bible says. Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. So remember what's happened in the book of Daniel up to this point. The king has had a dream, has had a vision, and it's a vision of this image. 
And in this image, there are four nations that are described. And Daniel, the the king calls all of his magicians in. That's where the term magi comes from, like in uh, the book of Luke. It's these Persian, Babylonian magicians. So he calls the magicians in and he says, I want you to not only give me the interpretation of the dream, I want you to tell me the dream I had. And how many think those guys got nervous? Right? Because it's real easy to give an interpretation. You just make it up. I don't only want the interpretation. I want you to give me the exact, the actual dream. And these guys are freaking out. And Daniel says, don't worry, I got this. And he tells them his dream. And then he tells them the interpretation. And the interpretation could be sure. We're going to see in a minute. Because as we learn in, uh, I believe it's Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8, Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? So Daniel, Joseph knew God, Daniel knew God and had been sent by God. And so when Daniel gave the interpretation, it could be true. And so Daniel tells him that what I'm going to tell you is about these kingdoms. You have the Babylonian kingdom, which is going to be conquered by the Persian kingdom, which is going to be conquered by the Greek kingdom, which is going to be conquered by the Roman kingdom. And then this Roman empire will be divided into two legs. And those two legs will become the revived Roman empire at a certain point in time, and it's interesting the text is going to give us that. But look at what it says in Daniel chapter 2 in verse 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. It became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. If you'll mark that, the wind carried them away. The wind carried them away. We're going to see something that Jesus says about that. That's pretty fascinating. All right? So this is the image. The image is destroyed by what? Look at verse 34. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and brake them to pieces. So here are these mighty kingdoms of the world in a worldwide empire that will come at a particular time. And this stone, Jesus Christ, comes and crushes those kingdoms. That's what the text is saying. Look at chapter 2, again, verse 45. This is the interpretation. You know what? Look at verse 44. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, so that's these, these, this revived Roman Empire, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, for it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. Now stop right there for a section, a second. Now this is a polytheistic world that Daniel is working in. That is, they believed in many gods. So if you ever get a chance to go to Rome, you can go to the Pantheon. I know some of you have seen it. And what is the Pantheon? It was a Roman temple built to all the gods. Pan, all of them. All the gods. Theon, gods. To all the gods. What is Daniel telling him? The great God. Yeah, you might have gods, but there's one great God. And what is that great God going to do? All right. It says in the middle of verse 45, The great God hath made known to the king... What shall come to pass hereafter? And the dream is... What's that next word? And the interpretation thereof is what? Why could he say that? Because interpretations belong to God. 
I'm telling you, it's certain. This, I have given you what your dream is. And do you know what I think happened? I'll bet you Daniel gave him details of his dream that the king didn't even remember. And he gives that detail. Not only does he give the detail, he gives the interpretation. But when is this going to happen? This kingdom coming and this kingdom that's set up and then another king comes and crushes it. This stone that's cut out without hands. When does that happen? Verse 45 again. Middle of the verse, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass. What's that next word? Now, who knows where I'm going next? Revelation chapter 4. You know what? Let's do Revelation chapter 1, then we'll go to Revelation 4. Revelation 1, this is God giving the outline for the book of Revelation. Verse 19. Revelation 1, 19, write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter. All right, so Daniel, he says hereafter, this is when this is going to happen. And then he gives us in the book of Revelation when that's going to take place. So now, so chapter 1 is the things which thou hast seen. Chapters 2 and 3, the things which are. So, what comes after chapter 3? Some of you are struggling with this higher level math. So, what comes after chapter 3? Chapter 4. Let's look at chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. All right. It says, after this, all right, after what? All right, so look at the verse that's right before it, the last verse of chapter 3, verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So after this, after what? After God is done speaking to the churches on earth. So the end of the church age takes place. What happens at the end of the church age? The rapture. God takes us out. We're gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Just like that. We're gone. Man, I can't wait for that day. Jesus Christ is coming back for us. All right, so chapter 4, verse 1. After this, that's after the church age, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. So that's the rapture. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be when? Hereafter. So the Daniel chapter 2 when this kingdom, this revived Roman Empire, the Roman Empire that's been divided into East and the West, all right, remember, the, the Roman Empire never ceased to exist. It lost its worldwide dominance, but it has never ceased to exist. It's going to be revived. And in Revelation chapter 17, you have that harlot which sits on the seven hills. And you hear about the seven hills of Rome, that Roman Empire is going to be revived. And at this hereafter point, after the rapture of the church, that kingdom rises again and Jesus comes back and crushes that when he returns to establish his kingdom. That's the hereafter that takes place. Now, let's look at, let's identify some more about this stone. Go to Matthew chapter 21. So remember, we've looked at the stone that's cut out without hands, the stone which the builders refused. That stone is mentioned in the book of Isaiah. We've not gone there today. We're not going to. That's mentioned in the book of Zechariah. It's mentioned in the book of Psalms. 
we're seeing some some interesting information here. All right. So now look at verse forty-two. Matthew twenty-one, verse forty-two. Jesus saith unto them, "Did you never read in the scriptures?" Now, who is he talking to? Pharisees. He's talking to religious leaders. It is so fun to ask religious people if they've ever read the Bible. Have you been talking to a religious person and they tell you something and you're thinking, have you never read the Bible? You don't have any idea what you're talking about. And if you've never had a chance to do that, do it. It's really fun. All right, now, Jesus, just be like Jesus, right? Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the Scriptures... The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So, who remembers what passage he's quoting right there? Psalm 118. So, How do we know that Psalm 118 is talking about Jesus? Because Jesus said it was talking about Him. All right, so now, look at what He says. Verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So the kingdom of God, notice, it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of God. And in in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned over and over and over again. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that Jesus Christ is returning to establish on this earth where he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Jesus said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation." The Bible says the kingdom of God is in you. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not this physical thing. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is the kingdom that comes when Jesus Christ comes to dwell in you when you're born again. Right? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are sometimes present together. When Jesus Christ establishes His kingdom, guess who's going to be there? Us. Us. So why is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, why are they interacting? Because the king is there. And those of us who are born again, we're saved. We're going to be in that kingdom along with others who come through the tribulation. But what I want you to see right here, it's really important. Jesus is telling them, verse 43, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Who's that? We're going to see that in a minute. Verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone... See that? This stone. Do you know what I think Jesus was doing? I think Jesus, when He was talking to him, whosoever shall fall on this stone, He's identifying Himself as that stone. Now, you have a modern Jesus. And remember, I've quoted Erwin Lutzer on this so many times. It's a tremendous statement. If the world loves your Jesus, it's because you have made Him into something that He is not. Right? Remember in... uh, I read an article by a guy that said that he always used to think of Jesus as a Mr. Rogers character, a really nice and gentle person. Then I had this idea, why would anyone want to kill Mr. Rogers? It's interesting, isn't it? So now, look at what this says. Verse 44, Whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it, that's the stone, shall fall, it will grind them to powder. What did the book of Daniel prophesy 
that prophecy, that, in, that the, the prophecy that was certain, the interpretation that was sure, that when that stone came and crushed those kingdoms, it would be blown away like the chaff. And Jesus said it's ground into powder. Can you imagine Jesus standing before you and telling you that? It's going to be ground to powder. The fact that He could do it. But look at what it says in verse 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard His parables, they perceived that He spake of them. Brilliant! But when they sought to lay hands on Him, they feared the multitude because they took Him for a prophet. So Jesus is telling them, look, I've come to you. I've come to you. And you can do one thing. You can fall on me. You can lean on me. You can trust in me and I'll be your savior. Or you can wait for me to come back and I will grind you like powder. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to them. That's who he is. Look at verse 20, chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, the stone. All this is coming out of Zechariah chapter 3. All right, Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 62. So this is after the crucifixion of Christ. He's been placed in the tomb. And look at what happens. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, this preparation for the Passover, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that... that what's that next word? You, know, you understand that's a title for Satan? How many of you know that the deceiver is a title for Satan in the Scriptures? That's what the Pharisees called Jesus. Do you think maybe they're going to remember that someday? Verse 63 again, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. It's interesting. They had heard his message. See, sometimes we get the idea that they just didn't understand. No, they heard it. They just rejected it. He came into his own, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure. Now, check this out. It's such an interesting thing. What is the thing, what is the one thing that destroys all false religions? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is the one thing that separates biblical Christianity from every other religion? Our founder rose again. Our founder is alive. You can go to Buddha's tomb. You can go to... You can, you can, you, if, if, I don't know if they... Do they know where Muhammad's tomb is? I don't know. But if you could see it, he'd still be there. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Joseph Smith is dead. He's gone. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You want to stop every false teacher, point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So these guys knew, man... If, 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 they, if Jesus will rise, we're going to be in big trouble. So look at what it says. Command, therefore, verse 64, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day. Do you know anything that man tries to make sure? What did Daniel say about his prophecy of the stone? This interpretation is sure. So they're trying to make sure. What are they doing? Look at what it says. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until 
the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. Now, let me stop you right there. If Jesus died on Friday and he rose on Sunday, what's the third day? Jesus didn't die on Friday. Okay, just, just so you know that. He really was in the grave three days and three nights. All right? So then look at what it says. So middle of verse 64, Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. Look it. So the last error shall be worse than the first. If his teaching that he was giving the people that undermined us was bad, wait until they hear about the resurrection of the dead. How many of you are glad that you believe that error? Right? Us basket of deplorables. All right, so look at what it says in verse 65. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. So that's not a wristwatch. That's the of guys that can go and do that. You can, you can put guards. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. I love this. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now look. I don't believe that that text is saying they were sealing up the stone, Jesus Christ. But that's what they were doing. Can I, can I promise you something? The stone that they rolled in front of the door couldn't stop the stone. He rose from the dead. That stone was rolled away so that the stone could walk out. And he's alive forevermore. That's the stone that the builders rejected. The stone they put in front of the tomb couldn't stop the stone. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, you know that there are a lot of people that believe that Peter is the foundation of the church. Let's see what Peter actually said about that. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 3. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So Jesus Christ is the stone that's been rejected, but He's a living stone. He rose from the dead. He's alive, right? Chosen of God and precious. I love this. Ye also, as, what's the next two words? are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, notice they're spiritual sacrifices. We didn't kill anything in here today. Here in a little while, we'll eat something we've killed, right? I hope. Got to have meat. I'm a meatitarian. So, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, but we're lively stones. Now, I got, remember last week, the branch? He associates all of this with us. He's the branch, right? But what did he say in the book of John? I'm the vine, you are the branches. What are we? He's the stone, but we're also lively stones. Because we're sons of God. We're made like Him when we're born again. Verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture. Let's see if this ties in at all with what we've been studying. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. 
Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is become the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. What did Jesus say to those Pharisees? There's another nation that's going to come. What's he talking about? Us. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bear fruit. Oh, what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? I'm the vine, you're the branches. A branch that doesn't produce fruit is gathered up and thrown into the fire. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bring forth fruit for the king. That's what we're supposed to do. All right? Now, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. He's the stone. We are lively stones. We're supposed to serve him. And what does the Bible say? Look, you can fall on him and trust him. And what's he going to do? He's going to set your feet on the rock. He's going to lift you up out of that pit, out of that miry pit, and He's going to set your feet on the rock. Or you can wait until He comes back and you'll be ground into powder. Jesus doesn't want to grind them into powder. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He cared so much, He came and died on the cross for us. That's how much He loves us. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Am I making any of it up yet? It's just the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 19. Ephesians 2 verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What has God done for us? He saved us. He saved us. He's built us up. And not only that, He's made us a holy habitation. What's that mean? He comes to dwell in us. He is the cornerstone. And then we're built on His foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And then He taught His apostles and He gave His apostles the Word of God. And then in Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And what do we do? We grow. We believe what Jesus said. We believe what the apostles wrote. And that's what we stand on today. That's who we are. We're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. We believe in the priesthood of the believer that Jesus Christ comes to dwell in us and we have access to God because of the one mediator and the one God, one man between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. This is so interesting. Look at verse 30. Now remember, Romans chapters 9 through 11 is God dealing with Israel. He's saying, I'm not done with Israel. The Apostle Paul is giving the churches an understanding of how we're supposed to look at God's people, Israel. All right, verse 30. John, or Romans chapter 9 and verse 30. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith but as it were by the works of the law. 
Why? For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. See, what's interesting is here's what God does. God has all of us on a path, all right? And that path, so you're born and you grow and you start living your life and you're on a path. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of what? Death. Death. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the door. If you come in through me, you'll find pasture, right? But there's a wide way that leads to what? Destruction. Leads to destruction. So every man is on a path. So let's say that we needed to get down to uh, Main Street down there. And there's only one road. It's Edgewood. I'm just going to go down and I tell you, you need to go down that direction. Ever, all of us are on a path. That path, because we're sinners, leads to hell. Leads to destruction. And everybody thinks they're doing okay. Everybody thinks they're all right. Famous book from years ago, I'm okay, you're okay. You're not okay. Jesus wants us to know we're not okay. So what does He do? He puts a big semi across the road that says, Believe in Jesus. And what do people do? They crawl under it. They go around it. They do everything they can. Jesus Christ is the stumbling stone. Jesus Christ is in... No person ever goes to hell without first stumbling over Jesus Christ. What can you do? You can come to Him. You're on your way to hell. Everyone on their way to hell. They're confronted with Jesus Christ. You can receive Him. Acknowledge Him as Savior. And that changes your eternity forever. He lifts you up and puts your feet on that rock. You're saved forever. His mercy endures forever, Psalm 118. It lasts forever. Or you can fall over it right into hell. If you think that your works can take you to heaven, that's exactly what this passage says. Romans chapter 9, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The end of verse 32, For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. How do we know that this is Jesus? Again, verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be... What's it say at chapter 9, verse 33? As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Who's the stone? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Jesus Christ. He's the stone. And isn't it amazing how that image of the stone, that title of Christ as the stone, is carried all through the Scripture. He's the stone for Israel. He's the stone for the church. He's the stone for believers. He's the stone for unbelievers. He's the stone for the individual. He's the stone for the nations. I'm just telling you, 
Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He is coming back. And you are either going to bow before Him as your Savior or He's going to grind you to powder. That's what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Where Jesus said, let's go back to that Matthew chapter 21 and we'll finish there. I made this comment the last time I preached through this text and I believe it's still true. Verse 44, Matthew 21 and verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Again, that's another one of those quotes from Jesus that you never see on a pillow. That's the Jesus that came to the world. See, the world today does not love Jesus Christ. You have an entire world system that's set up to hate Him. They're not going to love us when we love Him. Isn't that right? But I promise it's better for us if we do. It's better for us if we do. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? He's coming back. That's what the whole passage of Zechariah is about. Zechariah chapter 3 is giving us God's plan for the nation of Israel with that stone, with the branch, and then the seven eyes. That is the perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ where He returns and He sees everything that's going on. That's who Jesus Christ is. So here's the question. Have you ever received Him? Have you trusted Him? Man, I want every Jew in the world to get saved. Amen? They're God's people. They're God's people. We're not anti-Semites. We love them. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But they, the Bible says blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 19? But now these things are hid from their eyes because they didn't acknowledge the Messiah. All through the Scriptures, Jesus Christ is the stone. He's the branch. And those seven eyes, that's His perfect understanding of everything that's going on in the world. They go to and fro in the earth. What does Jesus Christ know about you? Everything. He knows whether you're saved or not. You might deceive other people, but you'll never deceive Christ. He knows. So if you're born again, praise God. Let's worship Him as the stone. Amen? Let's be that royal household, that, that holy nation. Let's be that. If you're not born again, fall on that rock today. Fall on Him. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.